Rosie used to say that New York was a fairground. You will know when it's time, when the fair is over. But nothing seems to happen. You stand around on the same street corners, smoking, thin-elbowed, looking down avenues in a lime-green dress with one arm raised, waiting to get older. Nothing happens. You try without success the usual prescriptions, the usual essays on innocence. I love you to the wrong person. I feel depressed. Kissing a girl, a sharpness, sea urchin, juice cleansers, but the senses laxly fed are self-replenishing, fresh as the first time, so even the eventual sameness has a savour for you. Even the sting when someone flinches at I love you is not unwelcome, like the ulcer on your tongue wetted on the ridges of a tooth. And when he slams you hard against the frame, the poor ticked sallow bruise seems truer than the speed, the spasm with which you came. So. Nothing happens. No matter what you try, the huge lost innocence at which you aimed recedes like long perspectives, like the sky square at the end of fifth whitening at dawn, unseen, as you watch the unlit cabs go by. The white rose bars opened very early in the morning. I recall waiting in one of them to watch an astronaut go into space. Waiting so long that at the moment it actually happened, I had my eyes not on the television screen, but on a cockroach on the tile floor. All summer the park smelled of cloves and it was dying. Now it is Labour Day and you've been sleeping through a rainstorm, half aware of the sewage and frying peanut oil and the ozone rising in the morning heat and the sound of your roommate hooking the chain, flipping ice cubes into a brandy balloon, pouring juice over them, ruby sanguinello till they giggle, popping their skins. The freezer throbs. He has been beating a man he met on Craigslist. He has been dreaming. Old New York, a James novel, a Greenwich Village Christmas, a certain kind of frost in the meatpacking district and the smell of the carcasses dull with the tang of freezing blood beside the skip of the Hudson wind. You have been thinking of the building opposite at night, the lights going off one by one, a diminished Mondrian, one ochre square where a woman undresses for the city, stroking her puffy thighs. You hear him talking on the phone about you, his petite danassante. All summer you have been eating peaches from the green market. Overripe in September they need to rest in the icebox, sitting with their bruises. All summer you have been dreaming of fall and its brittle confection of branches. Lying awake in the fat pulse of November rain as the bond market falls and the art market gets nervous, starts to freeze up, and hipsters keep on trying to sell Huckleberry Jam from Brooklyn, and novelists keep on going to Starbucks to craft their sagas, adjusting their schemas, picking like pigeons at the tail of the morning croissant. As the bartenders figure out the winter cocktail lists, telling each other that china, grapefruit bitters, and a small batch mezcal will be trending in the new year, even though guests are still going to be wanting Negronis at weddings, gin and tonics on first dates, Manhattans before moving upstairs away from the camera phones on illicit business. Schramsberg 98 is working well for Caitlin and the Nouveau Bellini. Jed crafts a drink from porter, coffee rum and brachetto d'acqui. It can only be written in Chinese, but is ordered as the vice grip. Its taste is whipped cream and kidneys, beer bitter and honeyed. He makes it for the girl in leathers with a face like the Virgin Mary. 
You are listening to Bowie in bed, thinking about the hollows of his eyes, his lunatic little hand jigs, longing for Berlin in the 70s. You are thinking of masturbating, but the vibrator's batteries are low and the plasticine pink stick rotates leisurely in your palm, casting its space-age glow into the winter shadows. The splinter in your eye is the best magnifying glass. Moving in the bathroom at Christmas, plucking your eyebrows, shaving. On Friday, Trine will be back and you'll take two Advil and lie on a table in Chelsea holding yourself open. Stretch it, she says, irritably sometimes, and stretch as lavender wax wells voluptuously in hidden places and turn as you kneel on all fours so she can clean you up behind and, still parting you open, her fingers spend one moment too long tissuing off the dead wax with almond oil and, all done, she pats, producing hot towels. Then moving lightly over the floor, taking medicines with last night's overnight out brackish water in a coffee mug, taking a levothyroxine, half a Lexapro, some vitamins to ward off colds, one to reduce PMS, some other crap you bought in a basement discount store with a cold last Monday from a man who thought you might be low in magnesium. He said this while eating vegan candy from a ripped-out pack snatched from his own counter. Then the weighing, the exhalation on the scales, a finger calipering for fatness, a finger slipping in to check the cervix, and walking out of the house into a world overwhelmed with rain and light snow at more than capacity, so the taxi drivers are only in the middle lane and the rose sellers have stayed home. The consciousness of the finite, the menaced, the essentially invented state twinkles ever to my perception in the thousand glassy eyes of these giants of the mere market. Evening comes without seeing light again, between you and a window, the beige Lego maze of officers, people whose names you don't know. You should be addressing inefficiencies in online processes, mastering multi-channel, getting serious about small business. You have created a spreadsheet with 13 tabs. The manager is giving you hell, ordering sushi, cancelling cabs. The senior partner calls from Newark. Thanks, team. His thin voice purrs, he is sipping something. Let's make it a win-win. But in the morning, brushing his new teeth, looking out into the snow's huge act of world effacement, its lethargy, he knows. Things are a liquid, freezing up. Light is abortive on the grey-scale park. It's time to short the fucking market. In Chennai, meanwhile, a man is waiting for your analysis, eating his breakfast of microwave dal and mini idlis, checking the cricket scores on his computer, reading Thoreau, wondering what New York looks like at night in snow. He is applying to Columbia, NYU Stern and Stanford GSB. He thinks of going abroad as an attempt to live deliberately, imagining the well-stacked fires in iron-fenced Victorians, the senior partner's grace under pressure, his Emersonian turn of phrase, the summers spent sailing, the long reaches of sand loosely threaded with grass on Cape Cod beaches. Evening comes without eating anything except a whoopie pie you find left over in the kitchen from someone's birthday surprise. The malted cream of the filling is so rich it clumps like shit. You lick it off your fingernails and Google the baker's website. On Yelp, someone has written, This case of cake smells so good if I ever have to go on a respirator, knock on wood, I hope they use this cake case as my respirator.
Smiling at the screen, a flicker of dry tongue now, a dopamine prick as the Ritalin kicks in. It has something about it of the narrow room, silk-lined with Flemish tapestries you once dreamt about being locked in. Your psychiatrist said it would help your productivity, but it feels like drawn-out sex on coke, like something dirty. The bakery is in Astoria on Broadway and 28th. On Street View, you look at strangers' faces at the averted gaze of men in sportswear, smoking in front of famous brands, at takeout bikes, nail salons, Turkish ice cream stands, at a grocery store with an unlit sign, hot coffee, the slow passing of a cortege in March sleep, the poverty. Last week, New York Magazine said Queens was getting hip. At Club 19, Manhattan transplants chill and sip, coltopi crucevice, whiskey sours and staro pramen. On Fridays, a pop-up serves tonkotsu miso ramen. You wonder what it means to define Astoria's epicenter or press panini with finesse, what the median two-bed rent is. Once a year, you go in a cab to the Bohemian Beer Garden and eat pink flayed kielbasa, penile and artery hardening while elderly men dance to a band in blue embroidered hose, holding their elbows rigidly like wax Pinocchios. Your friends wear flannel and McDonald's name badges. They talk about Ben Bernanke and Isabel Moran wedges. You are slightly disappointed in Obama's domestic policy. You think the great American novelist is David Foster Wallace. The epigraph to The Pale King is from Frank Bedart. It is about pre-existing forms and formal questions in art. Control N is jammed in the spreadsheet of your mind. Nothing seems real or right, so you just press send. Then a smear of olive lipstick and you walk out into the night, into the breeze, the smell of roasting, the rich quarters of delight. And, as you are dancing in a suit skirt to the killer's Mr. Brightside, feeling the anthem soar and rise, he makes the PowerPoint slides. You will present them in the morning to the client, while he sleeps in a fruit and urine breeze beneath a linen sheet. Forms leant together in the taxis as they waited, and voices sang, and there was laughter from unheard jokes, and lighted cigarettes outlined unintelligible gestures inside. Now you're meeting them for Pisco Sours at the Peruvian dive bar. Now plans have changed. It is April and the first hot day of the year has exploded from nowhere. Skin is as profuse and white as funeral flowers. You're heading downtown and the cabs are angrier than ever, wasps darting between thin panes of glass, and the shape of the traffic bulges and breaks in waves while the slam and slam hold of horns sings a scale of human frustration of the boredom of boxes as the radio dribbles on and off, crazy and love, and you check Facebook on your iPhone. Kate is photographing durians in Shanghai. Zena was born this morning. Claire is drying homemade pasta, Alina wishes she could play guitar, Arlo is flying LHR to SFO, upgraded out of H to J, and your mother asks to be your friend again, but the request just hangs in the sidebar. The wind is blowing road dirt through the window, it catches in your lens. You're still reading as you move the plastic on the cornea, blinking. It's still there as you type a happy birthday, pulling your tights down, and the splinter in your eye thinking for some reason about Paris and the street market on the Rue Mouffetard, wanting to be in Europe, remembering your breasts at 17 and the smell of frying fish in a cheap hotel, lying while he showered, legs splayed up the wall.
Now he has Happy Friday and Los Velas drinking gin and you like it. Three people comment on your update and the driver keeps staring dolefully at you in the mirror, long-nosed, surgically examining your crotch, a poet of the quick cab change, watching even as you cross fifth and the long perspectives open out into white light, into the infinite. Here is infinity obscured by a bus, an advert for night classes. There was infinity and the cab window was gravel pocked. Here is infinity again, but the driver is out staring you, unsmilingly bent on your feet, the curve of your thighs still slamming and slam holding the horn as the cab veers east and you see Rosie on the street, smoking with an older man, the man she is trying to seduce. Frail, despite the biker boots, loosely touching his arm, taking his wrist, waving. Now you step out of the cab bare-legged into the salty evening and a boy model calls out Chabella and W.H. Jordan's house is still a palapa and you tip him heavily because it is almost summer. The thing about being very young as you are is the permeability of one person to another. So when the guys buying sangria say, you should come to Williamsburg, you say, yes, eat the last orange slice skin and all and do the sideways dive on their laps so the cab takes five. Rosie strokes your hair absent-mindedly, ignoring the bankers. Her fingers smell of camel lights and lavender and she is laughing. You know his wife left him for a woman. Her knees are bony. We even smoke the same cigarettes. What do they talk about? Derry does late work on gifts, the modalities of power. Last week in the Bob Stacks, they were looking for the same book on Beckett. I bent down and I asked him. She's leaning forwards, whispering with wine breath in your ear. I said, I want you to do these things. Included a list, the things he might do. You think about her spidery cut-out dress, backless. But he walked off. Maybe his hearing is failing. Maybe he just isn't into her. It's not like I want to marry him or anything. No one is sure what to say, hours later, whipped by the return of winter wind on a rooftop in Brooklyn as she tells the story again, lavishly drunk, buoyant. Rosie is a beautiful girl and she wants you inside her. No one is sure what to say, but it gives one of the bankers an in and she is gone, lacing his fingers, leaving her yellow duffel coat. She is gone, so you photograph the view and upload it to Twitter. She is gone, leaving you alone on a rooftop with a German sculptor. I prefer to work with wood. Sometimes the smaller figures are cast in yellow bronze. Each time she says the word aesthetic, you suppress laughter. And then you see him, the man you are hiding from, coming up the stairs alone, in all his specificity, the darting glance fastened elsewhere. The conceptual installation is in a disused church in Mitte not so far from the Hakashehofer, if you know it. He has seen you now and he is here, and as he says your name, you nod keenly at her. The figures are made from locust wood. With olive wood, I was less satisfied. They are painted in mineral colours, jade. Lapis lazuli, is it? You ask about the sanding tools she uses, and then, to avoid him looking at you, you say all the words for wood and minerals you know, beryl, emerald, aquamarine, garnet, cypress and chestnut, ficus wood, spreading plains, castanier. When he says you've lost weight, you look great, which is true, he dumped you, 
You think of elderberry and magnolia, quietly pulling at the silver-starred skirt, pulling it over the ripple of your thighs. But when he says one more, for old time's sake, you say, why not? And sit rigidly in a cab, crossing the Brooklyn Bridge beside him. You take your clothes off when he puts his hands over your nipples. No murmured approbation. His fingers run along the fat, supple above the pubic bone, the white flesh below your hips, pressing and stroking it like someone testing the grass for a picnic. Outside, the subway train rolls and exhales, and the hot water comes on as the pipes cough, and the air is thick as a basement sauna, the window cries with droplets, and the long line of fifth is lost behind the Ikea curtains, and yet, despite all this, despite the sweat, the egg-white liquid stretching between your legs, the irregular strawberry pattern on his hairless back and pecs, there is something reserved about it, something classical and staid like a no-play where a blind man beats a cripple, or like a ballet still in rehearsal, the movements unsounded as the bed frame taps percussively and wet skin plucks on skin. It is all the same. He turns you through positions, expertly restaging old routine, until you end up head down, examining the duvet's bobbling, trying out the bad banana taste of durex on your tongue, fuck deeper as he eases a finger in, the nail beckoning inside the hole around the clenched twitch of resistance. It tightens like a toothache. And now you're moving faster together, beating out time, until he slams you hard into the bedstead and you knock your collarbone. A deep, retarded wave of pain, then the surrender as you start to come and squeeze against him while he pulls you backward, lightly as Thai yoga, easily. Afterwards, you lie in marshy sheets, hearing the subway trains increase in frequency, the pipes mourning or barred, the cries of women upstairs waking children, looking at water stains running across the plaster and the newly painted ceiling roses' sad modesty, its oak leaves touching the moisture on your thighs. And instead of saying, I should go, you mouth oak and elm, pine and juniper, poplar tasting your mascara drips. Out loud you say, I love you, waiting the requisite three beats, wiping away a clump of old black Maybelline, watching the retraction of his toes beneath the sheets, their wasted shape in action, familiar as the two black hairs on each. An hour later, walking home on fifth, you're still thinking of them, sated by self-objection, stuffing down some pineapple cubes, bought at a metal hot dog cart, your lips feel tight and bruised, his flesh, the enzymes and the juice. You're looking for a lighter, holding your shoes and a fist of dollar bills as it brightens quickly into pink flamingo dawn. In winter, nights seep gently from the sky, like red wine stains in watery bleach. Now it is April and another summer. As you go past the subway, an older, also shoeless guy leaps out and shouts, Girl, hey! He starts to twirl a topless bowler and it dips like an early swallow. He raps, I love you, girl, getting low, and the sky over the park whitens in a punched-out square as one unlit cab follows another down fifth and... Through tears, you're laughing.